and God bless you. We're thankful for you. Now, God's word comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20, with a focus on 18 through 21. This is God's word. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before you and through Jesus Christ, our Lord, ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to fill and refresh us, to help us understand in our mind and deep within the words that we have just heard. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My friends, I want to ask you a shocking question. What if the prosperity gospel is right? What if it's right? You know, you know that prosperity gospel, right? It's the gospel that's on TV. There's a number of very popular men and women that teach that gospel. It's one of the big three issues that we face as leaders in all of Africa, but especially in Malawi. You know the prosperity gospel. Just believe and you'll be blessed. You'll be healed. You'll get the job, the marriage, the children, the money. You'll have your best life now. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to get personal there. But that's what it is. That's a soft version of it. Um, A harder version of it includes give money to whatever ministry is preaching the prosperity gospel and you'll get multiplied blessings over and over. What if they are right? Well, if we read this text, we have to say they are right, but they're wrong about the blessings or at least the timing of those blessings. There is a perfect world that's coming. There is a best life ahead in the next world. And there's incredible blessings that are already purchased for us right here and now, just not necessarily material blessings. My Malawian friends, though they uh, love the prosperity gospel, people make a dollar a day. A laborer would make a dollar a day there. Not very prosperous. Not, not very blessed materially. And that's no surprise. As Paul said, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, Romans 8, 16 and 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That all sounds good, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. But yet, here in this passage, we hear about an incredible blessing that's actually a command, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we can be prosperous in our minds and hearts and souls. We can know God and experience God in a life-filling, transforming way. This side of heaven, they're partially right. God wants us to prosper. He commands us to be filled. Now, to give you the background, we're going to look at be filled with the Spirit. That's our focus. But remember, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, there's kind of two halves. Colossians is kind of the same way. But Ephesians 1 through 3, it's all about the blessings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with 
every blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And then he enumerates all those, finishes Ephesians 3 with a prayer that we may know the love of Christ and be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. He didn't stop there, though. He goes 4 through 6 and tells us how to live. If all these things are true, how are you to think? How are you to believe? How are you to live? And in that section, he comes to this uh, passage about being filled with the Holy Spirit. So three things we want to do. We want to ask the question, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What are the sure signs of Spirit filling? And where does Spirit filling lead us in our lives and, and our mission? So first of all, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Be not drunk with wine on the one hand, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in this case, it's helpful to look at the word in its original verb form in Greek. Not putting forth myself as a Greek scholar, but I, I do know this. Uh, I read some good commentaries and I have some good software. Uh, this verb says a lot. The verb be filled. First of all, it's a present tense verb, meaning it's not talking about something that only happens one time. Continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. That present tense says this should keep going on. It's an imperative. It's not optional. Even PCA Presbyterians, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit too. All of us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's passive. Well, that's confusing. You're told to do something, but you're really permitting something to happen to you. Let yourselves be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. After all, Paul says in Ephesians that we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God who sealed us for the day of redemption. He tells us in Thessalonians that we're not to quench the Holy Spirit of God. Certainly, Peter was a spirit-filled apostle, but he was a spirit-filled apostle when in Galatians 2 we see him in Antioch being a hypocrite and showing racial prejudice against Gentile Christians, at least in his actions, showing that to them. He was not filled with the Spirit at that moment, was he? Passive. We cooperate. We let him fill us. And it's plural. Now, this is hard for us. We've We've been influenced by the Christian uh, evangelical movement in America, which is all about you need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to ask him in your heart personally. Well, yes. But if it stops there, it's not biblical. New Testament, spirit-filled Christianity because it's corporate filling. It's plural. Let us all, let us the church, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The first application is going to be in our worship together as Believers. So that's the verb. What about the contrast between drunkenness, which leads to dissipation, and the filling of the Holy Spirit? There, there's something in common between the two and something very different. Uh, being drunk, you're under the influence. That's what we call it. You're dr driving while under the influence of alcohol. It's influencing you. You're still you. You still make judgments, and you're still responsible for your actions, but you don't do very well. You're not the best you. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're not a robot. Um, you still have choices. You still can make decisions. Um, but you're the best you. So one makes you the worst you. You make all the wrong choices. You give in to all the worst instincts. You say things you would never say. I've been with people when they were drunk and even Christians who had to add too much to drink. And boy, if I'd had my camera on, say, do you realize what you said uh, in that moment? You'd realize why you said that. You were under the influence. 
you weren't your best self, you were your worst self. But under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we are our best selves. You were made in the image of God, and as God's Spirit fills you and influences you and helps you, you become what he made you to be and what Christ died for you to be and rose for you to be. You have uh, the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I said all Presbyterian PCA Christians must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Am I suggesting or saying to you that you therefore must speak in a language you've never learned or perhaps have the gift of prophecy and expect and wait for audible uh, messages from God? Well, uh, no. Uh, first of all, you can't create or you shouldn't try to create any of those things. The Spirit himself apportions those gifts according to God's will and and we at least don't observe them happening uh, authentically as much as, as they did in the New Testament, for sure. Um, but what does Paul, how does he describe the filling of the Holy Spirit? What, what are we saying happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? We're going to look at that a little bit, but realize he says this. First of all, we all have the Holy Spirit if we're authentic believers in Jesus. If you've believed in the biblical Christ as he's presented, if you've repented of your sin, he says you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And it's clear in all of the Scripture that you have the Holy Spirit when you believe in Jesus Christ. But as we said, Peter, though he's very Spirit-filled in his ministry, was not Spirit-filled in Antioch. Well, what does he say in this very letter about Spirit-filling? He, You talk about prayers. You even saw it in the prayer that you're learning you know, the knowledge of his will and all spiritual insight. To be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 1 is to have um, spiritual insight. I pray, that, uh, I pray that you may have the eyes of your heart enlightened in all spiritual wisdom and insight so that you'll know the hope of his calling, uh, the glorious inheritance in the saints, and the surpassing greatness of his power. There are things that are true about you right now as a Christian that you don't act as if they're true. You don't seem to believe they're true. You and I know that's true of us, that we don't always have that hope. We don't always think about the glorious inheritance. We don't realize his surpassing power that is at work within us now. He says, I pray that the Spirit would enlighten you. The eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Then he prays a prayer that you would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit within so that you would have power with all the saints to grasp the immense love of Christ. That's what it is to be Spirit-filled. Gifts are a separate issue. The gifts of the Spirit are another question, another concern. So my friends, it's time to hear the command, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Realize the ways and ask him to show you in prayer and in prayer with a prayer partner and others because it's corporate as well as individual, the filling of the Spirit. How are you failing to yield to him? How are you grieving him? How are you quenching him where he begins to work? You're studying a passage or you're hearing a sermon and you feel stirred within and you think, I, I don't want to go there. There's too many consequences to my life if I go there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about a video game or I'm going to change. I'm going to think about something else right now. Hear the command. Because when he fills you, the Holy Spirit works with the rest of the Trinity. He makes the Father more inviting. We see him as he is, as our Father that we bring our prayers to. We see Jesus as more beautiful than everything else. And can we just stop and be astonished for a moment? We're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. God is saying, people, I'm 
through the Apostle Paul and his authoritative teaching, I'm commanding you to know me, to enjoy me, to be filled with me, to find your fullness and life and joy and power first and foremost and primarily through me. The God who made those Blue Ridge Mountains and those crisp blue fall morning skies that are breathtaking and in the new house that my wife Karen and I live in, you know, there's less light pollution. So when I'm taking the dogs out at night, I look up and the stars are popping everywhere. That God is not only your father through Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to be filled with me. I want you to know me. There is a prosperity for us. And too often we live as poor Christians. It's ours by the new birth. It's ours by the death and resurrection. It's ours by the ascension and the session. That is to say, Christ on the throne of heaven, ever interceding, ever praying for us. It's yours, this new life, this spirit filling. How do you get it? What are you supposed to do? Jesus tells us. He says, you're evil fathers, but you know how to give good gifts to your children. Ask, seek, knock. All present tense verbs. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. You evil fathers give good gifts. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to the one who asks individually as you're reading the Bible and praying, Father, send the Spirit. Fill me. You realize it's going to lead you to some repentance, right? Help me see where I need to repent. Pray with a spouse, a child, a prayer partner, a small group, as a church. Ask, seek, knock, fill us. Well, how do we know the signs of the Spirit's filling? It's a big question that I've been asked in Malawi. We were doing our Bible study methods class, which is a wonderful uh, course on basic principles of understanding and applying the Bible. And one of the better educated pastors, my friend, Pastor Evans uh, Kabodi, said, you know, Don, I got a question. We've just studied John 7, 37 to 39. Um, if, you're, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For the one who believes in me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So he's studying this passage very thoroughly and he says, question, my denomination teaches you have to speak in tongues, that is to say an unknown language, to prove you're filled with the Holy Spirit. What do you say? And I laugh because I say, you know why you're asking the question, right? Because the, Jesus is saying it's not like that at all. That, what, that it's just believing that gives you the Holy Spirit, not the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are determined by the Holy Spirit, but let's admit something, and I, and I want to admit it without picking on our charismatic Christian brothers and sisters. Spiritual gifts can be faked. We can be self-deceived. I've lived long enough to know uh, people that were spiritual teachers of one kind or another in the church, some very, very gifted. Intellectual gifts and, and, and gifts in that way are not the same as spiritual power. We've seen teachers emerge in our own country, in our own circles, who no one would want to be married to that teacher. No one, no one is a friend to them because they have no friends, only people they use. They faked it. Don't know what they thought happened. Don't know what their calling was. Don't know if they've fallen away and they'll come back, but they're fakers. You can fake gifts. You can have natural gifts that make it look like you're spiritually gifted. What you can't fake is the impact of being filled continually with the Holy Spirit. 
And the first thing Paul mentions is worship. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the Father for everything. I'm looking at Karen, your worship director, and every time I preach on something like this, my worship director in Charlottesville, uh, where I was 22 years, uh, she would smile. She was so excited. Yeah, let's preach on this kind of worship. And, you know, my encouragement is don't get lost in the details of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Okay, so we need to mix up, you know, maybe the old hymns and the new... That, this is about the work of the Spirit in joyous, interactive worship where you're speaking to one another, which you did this morning. You had the call to worship and different ones were speaking. It's important. And, and some of that speaking is not actually in words, but realize that you're in a room with other people, that worship is not about you coming and trying to cocoon yourself off. And we have to cocoon a little bit right now, right? Some of you are cocooned at home. But you're in a room full of people. By the way, folks at home, please come back when you can because it's really hard to worship corporately uh, from home. You, many of you have to be where you are right now, but someday this will be over. Come back to worship, please, for, for your souls and for ours. We need you. We need to worship together. If we're filled with the Spirit, we're speaking the Word of God to one another. When you're having communion, you're not in a room alone. I know sometimes I take communion and I'm like... I hope no one makes any noise. It's just me and Jesus right now. And, and there's personal communion with Christ. That's good. But why did he give it to us to take in church? Why do we as a church not encourage or allow personal communion? Just you at home with wine and bread. Because it's a gift to his gathered church, to the local church, to, to one another. And so um, it didn't always work well, but we tried to find ways in the past where you actually spoke to one another during communion, where... You went and, and went up to someone and said, you know, I want you to know I'm, I'm praying for you. Or you go up to them and share a scripture, and boy, was everyone a little nervous. One time it worked really well. <laughs> Feel free to do it after communion is over, that as I was taking the Lord's Supper, I was thinking about you. And man, I just, I just hope you will know how much Jesus really loves you. And I know you're struggling, but he loves you. Or whatever it might be. And And... You know, the best way to give someone a word, word from the Lord is to have the word of the Lord in your heart and say that to them, right? Speak scripture to one another. There's this beautiful picture of interactive, joyous, thankful worship. And you can't really fake that for long, can you? You can't really fake it for long. By the way, kind of convicting, isn't it, to read, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. You've been grumbling lately? It's 2020. Isn't 2020 all about grumbling? I've grumbled. Uh, I was struggling to figure out what, Lord, what am I? I'm a traveling missionary that goes a quarter of the year to Africa and can't go to Africa? What does all this mean? What are you up to? If you were in the Sunday school class, you probably realized that the greatest thing that's happened to Equipping Leaders International as an organization was COVID-19. Not because COVID-19 is great, it's terrible. But because we're now using technology and we're going to teach and train at a pace and a rate we never dreamed of before. And our partners overseas are just as excited, really more excited. They're saying, give us more. 
Teach us more. Train us. We're ready. Whether it's in, we want to see you in person. They're very relational. Come, please come back. But yes, teach us more courses, more and more courses. A terrible thing has become a great thing. It's hard to be thankful, though, when you're in the middle of the crisis, when you're in the middle of the, the, the health crisis. It's maybe more than a scare. Maybe it's a terrible thing. But seek the Spirit's filling that you can be grateful for those things that the Spirit helps you see. But listen, a lot of us are grumbling about things that don't matter very much. We don't really have, it's just been a hard time and it's, we're just not enjoying it very much. How else do we know we have the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit. Again, something that as a pattern and a manner of life, you cannot fake. You cannot fake genuine, agape, self-serving love that looks like the love that Christ had for the church. You can't fake that. Husbands, we get the hard stuff in Ephesians 5. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Christ who loved him and gave himself up. We're to do that. That's really, you can't fake that. You have to have the Holy Spirit's grace and help and strength to humble yourself to be a servant leader. In fact, that's the only kind of leader Christ wants is is a servant. There isn't servant leadership in the New Testament. That's what leadership is. It's service. It isn't about your blessing. It's about blessing the ones you serve. Can't fake it. Can't fake joy and peace and patience and kindness. And you read of some of these abusive leaders that have been exposed in the church. They didn't have any of these fruits. The people that work with them said they're abusive and controlling and manipulative and, and, and everything in the organization is about their glory and about their success. You can't fake this stuff. But man, do we need it. If you're a parent, if you're a leader in the church, if, if you're a student and you're trying to serve Christ in your generation, you need God's spirit. Because what's going to echo through the ages is the character of Christ that's molded and shaped in us. And, and doesn't that mean that repentance is gonna be our daily bread as we pray, ask it. Lord, fill me with your spirit. And the spirit perhaps through the scripture, perhaps through your mind is going to say, boy, you are one irritable sort of fella. And you go to your wife and you go to your children and say, I've been so irritable and impatient and I'm, I'm repenting publicly to you and I can't change, but he can change me. Greatest advice my wife Karen and I got um, in our premarital counseling was, Never say to each other, we were given a law, and it was a good law in this case. Never say to each other, I am just the way I am. I can't change. Pastor said, you have the Holy Spirit of Jesus living in you. You can change. You can change. And what a glorious thing it would be for the church to see some stubborn, irritable cuss of a Christian become a loving person. They'll say, Jesus is alive. He's raised. He's on the throne of heaven. He sanctifies people, even older people. He changes them. He shapes their hearts. That's the sure sign. And that's what our families need, our church needs, our community needs. But if you're curious about it, get ready for some pain along with joy. Get ready for some death along with resurrection as he leads you to a life of faith and repentance. Now, where does the spirit filling lead in our life and mission? Well, the first place it leads is very timely, isn't it? Uh, Mutual submission. Submitting ourselves to one another. Subjecting. Before we talk about wives subjecting to husbands, we're all to be subject to one another. 
And then specifically in the New Testament, we're to submit to our leaders in Hebrews 13, 7 and elsewhere, the, the pastoral epistles several times, we're to honor those who are in authority over us in the church. But we're also told to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And uh, in first, uh, sorry, Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2, 13, to subject ourselves for the Lord's sake to the authorities God has established. Now, a couple of days ago, my wife Karen, um, it's been those cool Virginia mornings, and, uh, which is just lovely, very lovely. And uh, she said, you haven't hugged me yet today. And I was very glad to submit to her. She might be watching. I was very glad to submit to you. Because um, I like hugging her. I would probably hug her all day long, and she would never get anything done. She's very hardworking, and, and, uh, and I like hugging. So she says, hug me. I, I command you to hug me, and I, I received it, and I submitted to her for the Lord's sake gladly. You know, subjection is never. You know, Paul and Peter were telling people to subject themselves to the Roman government. Evil, idol-worshiping, persecuting government. Now, not in everything. Not when they said, stop worshiping Jesus. Not when they said, you must say Caesar is Lord. But in every other thing, including taxes. I, I, I'm joyous when I get a refund or they send our family 1200 bucks when we don't need it. Um, okay, I will spend it gladly. Uh, or save. No, I'll spend it. Um, Gladly, I submit myself, but not so much when my taxes go up or they tell me to do something that's uncomfortable, like go to church with a mask on. And first time I went, I really thought, man, I'm, gonna, I'm hyperventilating. I, I, you know, I'm trying to sing and I can't. And like, I feel a little lightheaded and, and it's just awkward. You know, we've been, we have a new pastor at the church we were at. We were going to other places and it's just awkward. It's not quite fully right yet but it's still worship, subjection. Let me tell you why it's important. One reason I think it's important in my understanding. Isn't it so easy to, to sing the Lord is King, that great Margaret Clarkson hymn. What a wonderful hymn. You know, we come, O Christ. It's easy to call him King and Lord and ruler until you're asked to be subject to human rulers, elders in your church, state governments, federal governments. And you go, they don't know what they're doing. And they may not. But you still might need to subject to them. And the Spirit's filling allows you to do it gladly. You could appeal to leadership always. Jesus is king, but we appeal to him when we pray. But I also want to talk about something that's exciting. It's called the book of Acts. And we're not going to talk about it in the last eight, six minutes, five, three minutes, whatever we have. Except to say this. What you learn about the filling of the Holy Spirit in Acts is the outward propulsion of God's people when the Spirit fills them. Even at Pentecost, what do we get all controversial and all wrapped around the Acts about? The fact they spoke in tongues. They spoke in unknown languages. What did they speak? Apparently the gospel. Apparently they were out in the whole neighborhood. It was you know, millions of people in Jerusalem for the festival, perhaps, it was crowded, and here they are standing out there speaking in the languages of the people. I think that's what the miracle is. I'm not sure. They're preaching the gospel. God fills them with the Spirit. They start speaking these languages, and then they spill out, and they start speaking, and, and thousands are converted. That Spirit filling, my friend, he filled them, and he sent them. Peter was afraid 
of people the night before Jesus died and denied Jesus three times. But then not that long after that, in Acts 4, the very ones who put Christ to death, it said, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, fearlessly he preached the gospel. They were told never to preach in the name of Jesus again in Acts 4. And the church gathered to pray. Have you had an earthquake prayer meeting yet? You'd have to really have timed it well here in Virginia. We've had a couple of good shakes. But uh, they prayed and the place in which they were gathered was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the Spirit's filling leads us to joyous worship. So joyous, so powerful And as we're praying for our pastors and preachers to speak the word of God, they speak with authority. They speak with apostolic authority and prophetic insight, the word of God to us. In 1 Corinthians 14, we learn that in Corinth, even people were coming to Christ through public worship. So joy and and delight and unity and harmony and working through the nasty, difficult problems of living as a community filled with the Holy Spirit, but sent with power. Imagine what the Holy Spirit can do in your life. You know more psychology than you realize because the maker of the human psyche, the maker of the soul is your Father in heaven. And many of you have been studying the Bible for many years. I personally think cognitive behavioral therapy is is a good thing. The idea that when people have trouble, they go to a counselor. The best I understand it, and as Zig Ziglar would say, he takes or she takes their stinking thinking and uh, says, look, here's your stinking thinking. It helps you think, oh, that, yeah, I'm not thinking very well. And then they help you think better thoughts, true thoughts, real thoughts. And they may give you some exercises and things to do. So you stop stinking thinking. The problem is it's been around for a couple thousand years, probably 3,000 anyway, Proverbs. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life, from your innermost life, your thoughts, your beliefs flows your life. Jesus said that, didn't he? That was radical stuff back then. All all this dark stuff doesn't come from what you put in. It comes from what you put out, from what's inside your heart. And then Paul in Ephesians 4 gives a Christian cognitive behavioral therapy session. He said, here's all your rotten thinking and what it's leading to. Now, you didn't learn Christ in that way. Take the gospel. Take the first three chapters of this letter. Preach it to one another. Speak it to one another. Get it in your head. Now go live. Because you're thinking in a new way. You're living in a new way. You know that much. So imagine you're talking to a straying Christian or perhaps someone who's been away from the faith and is not interested. And, and you're not just talking and going through the four spiritual laws or 45 minutes of an evangelism thing. But you're listening. And you're listening with divine biblical insight as the Holy Spirit fills your mind with the truth of God. You're listening and you're You're thinking, and God is using your mind, and suddenly you stab him right in the heart with kindness, with patience, with love. You you speak a word, and I've had it happen to me. People have spoken to me with piercing wonder. Happened to me in Malawi the last time I was there. One of the pastors uh, just blessed me beyond anything I would have dreamed of. You know, I'm not asking them, hey, will you give me a lot of encouragement and But he just took me aside and he said, this is why this is working. This is what God is doing in your life. And if he'd been Jesus Christ himself standing there, it couldn't have been any more powerful than what he spoke. 
the Spirit can work through you and He wants to fill you and send you out. And I'll tell you two things are going to be different. Your calendar and your wallet. Your checkbook and your schedule. Not because your calendar is filled with horrible, sinful, bad, evil things. It's just filled with things. It might be for some of you, spirit filling means, man, we need more time together. We really do. It, it's got to stop being something we keep saying and the spirit is going to empower us and we're going to do it. We're not going to let this life go by without loving each other well. But it also might mean that you look outward in your neighborhood and you see where are the opportunities to love and serve and represent Jesus Christ. And we might start looking at our budget differently. We might say, I want to go ahead and pay that mortgage down so I can give more. Or, or maybe I want to retire early so I can work for free in the kingdom of God with my retirement income. Prosperity. There's actually a stunning prosperity that we are offered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not a red Corvette. It's not, it's not the perfect marriage and family. This side of glory, there, there's no such thing. But there's a fullness of the Holy Spirit that God not only wants us to have, he commands us to ask for. So let's pray. Father, we knock. Father, we as a people are asking and we are seeking. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Take us for Christ. May we be filled with his glory and wonder. May we long for the shores of heaven, but live in this moment the best life that we can live filled with the Spirit of Christ, transformed and sent. In Jesus' name we pray.